Welcome back to Lambda Forms Radio. I'm your host, Ian Corey. I'm the singer and songwriter in the band Lambda Forms. I use this podcast to talk to other musicians and artists about their process, their backgrounds, and their latest work. Apologies if I sound a bit froggy. I'm currently on day three of having COVID. A few weeks ago, when I did not have COVID, I had a rare in-person interview with Josh Stanley, who records and performs music as Psychoid. Josh and I first met in the Chicago music scene after college, where it seemed like Josh was playing in a different band every night, including my own. Josh's music has always been eclectic, part punk, part prog, some rap, some folk. His latest album is Psychoid, Cataclysm Risque, also features a novel release strategy. The band are dropping the record one song at a time, along with formally experimental music videos. I hadn't had a chance to catch up with Josh in a while, so I was psyched to have him over to talk about the record. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Yeah, yeah, so I started this up in, in 2017. Uh, no, I, I moved to New York in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and then started the podcast in 19, did like a few in person, and then was like, oh, I should get good at like doing it remotely just because mm-hmm. I know all these people in Chicago and yeah. LA and whatnot. I, and then, you know, lo and behold, I had a lot of reason to get good at doing it remotely. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was noticing um, you had a, a little stretch there. Um, maybe a couple months ago where it was a, a few Chicago people in a row. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, Oh, we're really working those Chicago connections. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do feel like it's, it, you know, I, it's so funny, like moving to New York and thinking like, Oh, I'm going to get like connected into the New York scene. And I, I have done that to some extent, but then it's like, well, I, I actually still feel like I know a surprising amount more of Chicago people, mm-hmm. you know, I, I still feel like that's like, and in a lot of ways, like the roots of my like musical network, mm-hmm. you know, and then like in, in here in New York, it's like, well, I just have like all these friendships that are like almost non-musical or, right. you know, Did, I mean, still touring and based out of here and whatnot. Yeah. But. Did um, you have, was Lambda Forms in effect before you went to Chicago? By like a very different name, gotcha. you know, like it was under like my like high school band name and it was it was not really as serious and it kind of like honestly it took me like through all of college to kind of make it what it became by the time Mm -hmm. that you joined Mm -hmm. you know um like all of this material that i had on trials was under the previous band name and then gotcha once i started playing out in chicago is like well here's a good opportunity to change the band name Mm -hmm. from something embarrassing to something (laughs) kind of cool um, fair is fair because I'm I'm gonna end up asking you about like yeah y- what you were doing in high school so yep. uh, it used to be called Random Child Random Child yeah. hell yeah uh, it sounds like like a label that I probably wouldn't want to listen to the music <laughs> on <laughs> fair enough yeah it, I just it gives me um like Hatchet Man vibes Hatchet Man you oh, know what I mean wow. like uh like like random I don't know why but there's just something juggalo adjacent about that no I I totally know what you're saying because like random feels like one of those words like twisted yeah exactly like psychotic yeah, or right. like psychoid yeah, <laughs> turning exactly. the background on you now um <laughs> where I feel like there's so much of this kind of like you know like joker 
Joker-fied kind of energy, yeah. which is really not what I was going for. I know, man. Honestly, I, <laughs> I have to watch that because that Joker energy is like really nat, like comes out naturally mm-hmm. um, for me. And like very often, people you know will see me live, be like Jim Carrey vibes, right? And yeah. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, which obviously Jim Carrey and the Joker are not. One in the same, but there's overlap. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Yeah. There, there's a sort of uh, more Riddler vibes, Riddler, Riddler <laughs> vibes, uh, although not the not the current Riddler. Vibes no, no. At all. But he did play the Riddler. One yeah. Point, in, the, right? in the 90s with uh, Sub-Zero. That uh, one? I think he was in the one where it's it's him and Two-Face and it's Tommy Lee Jones is Two-Face. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually haven't seen like any of these movies. I've The only <laughs> Batman movies I've seen are like the Nolan ones yeah. on. Uh, so I, you know, I'm pulling shit out of my ass mm-hmm. here. But yeah, because I remember kind of like misreading your vibe as well early uh-huh. on, like around the time that we first met and I saw, because you were in a few different bands, mm-hmm. kind of all with the same group of people just yeah. rearranged. Which is still going on. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking like, oh, this guy kind of reminds me of Daniel Gildenlow from Pain of Salvation. Oh, yeah. yeah and I remember yeah. you coming back and being like, uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, it took me a long time when someone uh, first threw the Mike, Mike Patton comparison mm, to me mm-hmm. for me to be like, "Do I see that?" And it obviously yes, but it's like also just like a baritone with a large range who screams and raps. Right, it's gonna be Mike Patton, right? You know exactly, <laughs> and who was like genre fluid yeah, in some way exactly. or another. But so if it wasn't Mike Patton or Gildenlow or what have you early mm-hmm. on that you were listening to, like. Who were your sort of foundational influences when you were first getting into music? Yeah. um, So I started, um, first of all, playing bass. And Mm -hmm. when I started playing in bands, Um, I was playing drums before that. But um, I was really bad. I just, the limb, you know, independence was Mm -hmm. just not happening for me. So yes, uh, when I started with bass, it, um, I was really into, this was like, 2005 and i was really into like block parties first record Mm -hmm. arctic monkeys first record you know this like it was a lot of british indie rock bands at the time so i think that i was just kind of getting song structure down with you know with those influences mainly but it was um and if you want to talk embarrassing before that, sure. Please. Dashboard confessional uh-huh. hit hard at yeah. some point. It was the Spider-Man soundtrack that uh, <laughs> track uh, vindicated. Vindicated, of course. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but I just I never had that uh, high tenor to really be able to pull that off, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then when I started uh, when I got to college, I decided that I. Um, was more interested in playing guitar, but I was still playing bass in jazz band. And I actually played in the jazz percussion ensemble, which was like, honestly formative mm-hmm. because it's where all the mixed meter stuff started coming sure, in. Like yeah. before that, like I had no reason to be, you know, figuring out how to groove in five or seven and switch between them, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But while doing that, I started, uh, playing guitar, um, but hilariously playing guitar in like a very punk style, uh-huh. you know, and, uh, because you're you know, just getting when you're started. picking it up. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so like hilariously late, I got really into punk music when I was mm-hmm. like 18, 19. And, uh, because like, or in like bands, like, cause I was always into like the weirder punk stuff, like 
at the drive-in Fugazi, mm-hmm. you know, the stuff that was bringing other genres as well. But for whatever reason, the straight ahead punk minor threat style never really hit with me. Sure. Um, in high school, like or in high school. But then <laughs> for whatever reason, I was just like, hell yeah, let's just get that uh, BPM up and mm-hmm. just play fast. Um, you know, and I think, yeah, like hot water music. I was doing, I was in a band where we had two vocalists and that was called We Hate Mal, or We Hate, yeah, We Hate Malachi Constant, which is a Kurt Vonnegut chapter name uh, from Sirens of Titan. Sure. Um, yeah. Cause yeah. it was like obscure literary reference. But of yeah. <laughs> the two of us, I was the less literary. So uh-huh. that was the dynamic, you know? <laughs> like I'm, you know, I'm probably still pulling things from books, uh, titles and stuff, but like our, um, my guitarist, uh, in that band and other singer, Ryan, uh, Ryan James, shout out Ryan James. Um, and, uh, he was, you know, just like scouring liter- literary, um, sources of all kinds. We would use a lot of samples mm-hmm. of, uh, just like found fifties radio shows and stuff. And, uh, in the punk music. So of course we couldn't just let it be right. And just punk. And then that turned into, um, a project. I don't know if you've ever heard, um, called vagrant beat that I was, yeah. So I was in that with, um, our mutual friend, Taylor Kramer. And, um, he and I, and also Ryan had played, um, in a previous band called here in the deadlights in college or in high school. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of, I would say bridging the gap between the Arctic monkeys style stuff. And then the more like, punk and emo stuff the sort of post-hardcore yeah kind of stuff. exactly yeah. very 2000s uh-huh. right, to kind of bridge that gap right totally and just just to kind of like fill in some of the biographical yeah. details because i i met you in chicago but you're from ohio mm-hmm. originally right yeah from columbus area mm-hmm. um suburbs of columbus and yeah and then went to school in uh, athens mm-hmm. ohio university then went basically straight from there to um to Chicago. Gotcha. And mm-hmm. did you, you said that you were playing in like the, you know, jazz ensemble and mm-hmm. in college and whatnot, but were you studying music primarily or was that just like, I was a music production student, gotcha. um, and, uh, major. And I, so I had a music and, um, uh, can't remember if it was, <laughs> I should probably know what my minor is, but it's either music <laughs> or music performance. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. but either way, uh, when I was in, um, Athens and studying at school there, that's when I definitely started bringing in more the music theory and jazz theory, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I think my jazz conductor, you know, would it be <laughs> probably pretty, uh, um, upset with what I've been doing with the jazz chords I've learned <laughs> since then. Uh, sure, cause sure. you know, I'm still using a lot of like the, you know, very, pretty harmony that I learned, you know, playing old, um, old jazz and fusion tunes, mm-hmm. um, and just like cranking up the distortion. So it gets all crunchy. Um, makes sense that you were also attracted to the sort of at the drive-in style post hardcore mm-hmm. stuff. Cause I feel like a lot of those bands were doing similar stuff in terms of like attaching these much more kind of like arranged and much more broad sort of like harmonic palette to right. sort of like raw intensity and like loud kind of obnoxiousness of like yeah, music. Yeah. And um, which, uh, you know, went even further with Mars Volta, right. which I was obsessed with when mm-hmm. I was, you know, in that punk phase, right. 
Oddly, Mars Volta was like the the prog band in the punk phase. And then out of the punk phase, I got into more prog music and like, sure. you know, um, like John McLaughlin's stuff and um, Chikoria's stuff and mm-hmm. just like that old school fusion that I could not understand a lick of it. I honestly still can't understand <laughs> most of it, but, but I, uh, you know, have a lot more tools to appreciate it now yeah, than yeah. at the time where at the time I was just like, just allowing it to like blow my mind and wash over me. You know, mm-hmm. I was going to ask why music production? why did you decide to go to school for that and not for performance? Did you have like an intro? Yeah. You know, were you like messing around with Dawes at an early age or what? Yeah. What was so that band um, that I mentioned that I ha- actually didn't name. Uh, so the first band, the Arctic Monkeys uh, block party style band was called the Red Letter Days. And mm-hmm. right it like right when I started playing with that group, we were practicing at my house. And so I'm like, it just makes sense for me to set up some mics and record this. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I got Cubase and uh, was doing the Cubase thing for um, all of high school. And um, um, and actually, now that I think of it, yeah, Ryan, the singer, uh, he was further along with both his like musical training. With He was a great guitarist when I met him. And um, but also with the the DOS. Mm-hmm. And so he was so he was kind of teaching me. Um, and then when we got to school, he being the more literary one went for uh, creative writing gotcha. English. Yeah. And uh, I uh, was like, I just got really into, um, you know, that uh, that wormhole you can get into of tweaking <laughs> mixes. Sure, sure. <laughs> Which now is like, you know, I still do a lot of mixing and but that the fact that I was really into that, like the minutia of it at one point, like blows my mind now. Cause mm-hmm. now luckily a lot of that is like smoothed over just through experience. Right. But, um, whenever I get like stuck in like a, you know, tweaking a very little thing, um, I would hardly call it fun <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Do you find that that's like generally true of how you approach like learning new skills? Do you like zoom into like particular minutia or are you more of a generalist? How do you, how do you think of yourself? Um, yeah, no, I, I definitely, I think I have, um, a very, um, fine focus for short term. Mm-hmm. And then like my focus long term is garbage because, uh-huh. <laughs> which is why I've, I've already named five bands, um, right. <laughs> you know, that I, I've been, uh, playing with, um, and it's, it's always been that way. I was like really into video games. And then mm-hmm. I got really, I mean, before that I was, I played like basically every sport, but only for like a year. Mm-hmm. And, um, I honestly wasn't too into many of the sports, but, um, yeah, like video games. And then, um, I did get really into like reading, um, just mm-hmm. fiction in uh, like junior high. Gotcha. Yeah. And, uh, just, yeah. So it's, it's definitely, definitely been that the case that it's, uh, one thing after another, just like hyper-focusing. And when did you start like writing your own lyrics? Cause I know that mm-hmm. you're, you're also like a spoken word kind of guy. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I started doing, um, so I was writing like, uh, I don't know if, I guess you'd call them parodies, um, <laughs> in, in, uh, high school where I would just take like the rhyme scheme of 
a well-known poem like The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe or something Uh and just change, you know, change the words. And it wasn't always funny. And it it also wasn't always trying to be funny. Um, (laughs) You know, those don't always line up. But it, it, um, it was, I think I was just trying to figure out how like the cadences and stuff worked like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I wouldn't use that word at the time, but, and so then, um, in college, I, uh, um, started dating a poet and, uh, (laughs) fancied myself, uh, writing some original poetry. (laughs) And, um, so yeah, I, inspired by said poet or just about, you know, whatever. We had very different styles and I don't even know where like my style was coming from, honestly, other than I just, I've always written kind of when I'm not trying to follow some kind of schema of Mm -hmm. uh, some other um, piece. I've always written something that could be wrapped. You know, it's got my poetry is always rhymed. It's always kind of got a lot of rhymes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like internal rhyming and stuff. And I think that was just what drew me to it was just like. There was also something I remember at some point realizing that when things rhymed, they seemed to make more sense or were more true, even if it didn't actually make sense. If that, sure. Um, something about like the order of the syllables locking together kind of mm-hmm. makes people, you know, I, I think about like the like good recording mm-hmm. makes people uh, believe in the uh, the veracity of what's being said more yeah. like you're more likely to believe someone who's recorded on a nice microphone than mm-hmm. someone who's like talk like yelling into the you're talking iPhone. about specifically for the vocals or the whole project oh just like well recorded the whole whole project yeah. or even you know watching like a youtube video or mm-hmm. something like that you know yeah. like if the audio quality is good you're like oh this is this person must know what they're doing yeah which you is know? weird because also with youtube videos if the audio is good it makes the video look better right yeah which i, I don't understand why that happens but but it, I, it definitely does it seems like it's <laughs> the same thing that you're describing with like yeah. writing lyrics it's like mm-hmm. if you can make it feel like it's a complete rhyme mm-hmm. like there's some sort of like resonance between the ideas then yeah therefore it must be there right because you know? it makes sense in this context mm-hmm. so yeah mm-hmm. um yeah. And so I was doing a lot of open mics um, because I've always liked performing. I was actually um, surprising no, uh, no one who knows me. Uh, I was a theater uh, gotcha. person in high school. OK. And like so I was, um, you know, um, doing plays and musicals and stuff. And um, which actually that kind of started right after the sport stopped Mm -hmm. like the last sport I played was lacrosse when I was a freshman in high school and then I was just like this just isn't my vibe (laughs) and then I met some theater people I'm like all right these goofballs are my vibe right a little more so I've always had the performance bug so it's just it's always just been finding different um different ways to go about um how did you, how early were you listening to like rap and hip hop and what were your sort of like, were there's, were, was there like a lightning bolt moment where you're like, I want to rap like this guy or this person or. Yeah, no, it was Andre 3000 when mm-hmm. I was 13, you gotcha. know, like, yeah. just, and it wasn't even rapping, you know, it was, uh, the, um, love below yeah. where, when, because which regardless of if this was his plan, you know, like that is such an easy way in to the outcast, uh, discography. Cause like, you know, uh, a bunch of the love below songs have, um, big boy verses, first mm-hmm. of all, where he's not singing, you know? Right. And, uh, um, but then, uh, yeah, I like went back through, um, 
like just backwards through the outcast catalog from there. And, um, really Stankonia was when I was like a big mind blow. Totally. Blowing yeah. moment. And yeah, around that time, I mean, like when I was real young, I was re- <laughs> into, uh, like a lot of like shock value stuff. Like I, I was really into Slipknot. Mm-hmm. I was really, in, which, you know, at the time I probably wouldn't have called rapping, but he's rapping. Yeah. Just um, on those first two records. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, like Eminem and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, stuff that when the, the indie rock stuff came into play, I was like, well, I can't like both of these things. So <laughs> all of that stuff has to go all the pop punk as well. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, some 41 and everything. Totally. Yeah. Um, you, you sort of like viewed it as maybe like a bit juvenile. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, yes. And which was funny cause the music I was listening to in high school was probably like the median age of the listeners. Like I was, I loved like Radiohead, the national and you know, these bands that the median age of the listeners probably 35, right. You know? Yes. Or, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so it's, um, maybe they are now, but you know, um, it was definitely the case that I was going to a lot of shows where it was like a lot of older people there. And then, um, when I started going to the punk shows, then I was like the old, <laughs> the oldest person there at 19, yeah, yeah. you know, going to the, uh, so got, uh, both sides of that. So yeah. I feel like it's best to maybe, uh, address this issue now because I know mm-hmm. that Parker, our mutual friend has, uh, brought up some comments that I've made in the past. Yeah. Um, did you ever feel self-conscious about being like a white guy rapping? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Cause I, th- for a, well, so for a long time I was doing it just kind of in a way where I was like, well, obviously I can't take this seriously. So I'll do it kind of as a joke. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, which I feel like is, you know, kind of a, an easy way to like, for someone to dip their foot into something. Um, when it's not clear whether it's appropriate, you know? Right. And, uh, especially at that time, cause I wasn't trying to like write Eminem lyrics and <laughs> you know, in, in my mind it was like, I had to be an Eminem or, or yeah. this wasn't for me, you know? Then even when I've, I've written, uh, you know, rock lyrics, it's always been the, the number of syllables has always been really high. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, it's, uh, which I don't, I don't know which way that goes, you know, it's like kind of hard to know what's the chicken and what's the egg there. Sure. At a certain point, it's just like, that's what you're into regardless mm-hmm. of which genre right. it happens to stem yeah. from originally, you know? Totally. Uh, so, cause I, and I've never really, even though I've put out like, uh, EPs that are all rapping, mm-hmm. I've never really thought of myself as a rapper and it but i think it's just because i'm coming at it from like a uh more of a musician than like a culture uh like rap culture sure um sense um and I'm not saying rappers aren't musicians obviously but it's it's just that um the, the rap was like a byproduct in my case yeah um and i've never been fully uh I think much to the detriment of any, especially like the solo stuff I've uh, done, uh, never been fully comfortable with promoting myself in a way that like would make sense for a rapper to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, right. Like you're not, it doesn't seem like you're building the sort of like cult of personality uh, kind of thing or, you know, cause it seems like 
I, I, I wonder about this sort of stuff all the time because I, I almost feel like if rock musicians carried themselves more like rappers, rock would probably be a more popular genre. Yeah, you no, know? absolutely. I, th- I think that is a, a big part of why it's um, so popular right now. And then there's, there's also the immediacy of mm-hmm. hip hop. You know, a lot of uh, the hip hop you hear on the radio is like what you hear in the first 10 seconds is what you got you know, and like, you're not going to go through this big journey to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously there are are exceptions. No, no, yeah. yeah. I'm talking about like strictly pop Mm -hmm. rap uh, on the radio and yeah, no, the, uh, the exceptions are definitely the, the rap I get most into. Sure. So, I mean, just kind of like looping back around to the initial question, which is like, you know, a sort of self-consciousness maybe about, Mm -hmm. you know, how to move through the world of music as like a white guy who raps. It seems at least from my perspective that you're still sort of coming at it aware and presenting yourself as a rock musician first. Mm -hmm. And you're not trying to like machine gun Kelly yourself or or anything like that. And like fake the funk culturally speaking. Yeah. I mean, I would hope not. And, uh, it's, um, cause I really started, um, leaning into the rap with, uh, my project smear campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, which ha- includes uh, Taylor Kramer on the keys, um, uh, Jeff Smith on the bass, and uh, Trevor Shandling on the drums. Mm-hmm. And uh, I say I want to get all their names in there because they're all collaborating with me still. Totally. Um, in various ways. But um, when, while we were all playing together, and it started off just Taylor and I, and we were like kind of as much as we were marketing it, we were marketing it as like a disclosure, like, you know, two guys making this like electronic music kind of thing. But very early on, like I think our first two singles uh, we put out, one was like a very Portishead esque, um, like gloomy singing, um, very vulnerable singing number. Mm -hmm. And then the other one was like a rap song. And, um, I was I would call it a trip hop song probably sure, sure. um just based on you know the uh, production and everything we were doing but it um yeah I think that with smear campaign because it was always in my mind a like an art project more than something marketable I didn't think about that aspect mm-hmm. when it when we were creating and and at some point uh, you know, I started off playing uh, more guitar and singing a little more. And then at some point I stopped playing the guitar so much and um, leaned more into the rapping. But actually, you I think you were the one uh, to point out to me at some point that uh, um, the the rock element still being a part of it is, um, you know, what makes it something different than what it could have been if I was just trying to like have them play uh, hip hop tracks and me rap. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it still felt, I remember like seeing those shows and it felt like a a piece of like a lot of what was going on in Chicago around that time. This Mm -hmm. being like the the mid 2010s, Mm -hmm. um, where it seemed like after I graduated from college, suddenly there were like all these bands that were like kind of jazz bands, Mm -hmm. kind of rock bands, like that had rapping sometimes. (laughs) Right. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of like, you got like smear campaign, like not lovely, yeah. uh, biz moody, like all that mm-hmm. stuff that was like happening. It, it just seemed like, I don't know what it was that was in the water, but suddenly there was this like genre fusion kind of like 
jazz chops playing pop music Mm -hmm. from a either rock or hip hop perspective. Yeah. And I think the hip hop part, I think that's just when hip hop was transitioning into being the most popular genre. Yeah. And so I don't like the only time I remember actively thinking about like the dichotomy between rock music and um, hip hop or the first time I I can think of around that time was I was also playing bass at the time for a group called mother nature out of Chicago Yeah, and mother nature is great. Still killing it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but I was, uh, playing these shows with them and feeling this energy from the crowd that I was never getting at rock shows. Yeah. Yeah. And like either when I was in the crowd at rock shows or when I was on stage, Mm Mm-hmm. So I think first subconsciously and then eventually consciously, I was like, I I think this is where like the fun shows are happening, you know? Mm -hmm. And like I said, it's always been about the performance for me, which is funny going to school for music production. Right. (laughs) Whereas like now and even at the time, I think I always saw it as a means to play for people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But with. uh, Yeah, with those Mother Nature um shows um feeling that energy i was just i think and i think smear campaign was probably doing that kind of energy hip-hop less than uh the other groups you mentioned yeah um and which you know just based on the fact of like what the other dudes listen to we were <laughs> i think someone called us a prog hop band once and oh, yeah, i could i could see that because <laughs> yeah like everyone in the band including myself but um is like really into prog music and so um bringing that to the hip-hop thing it's funny because when i would talk to people after shows it was first of all it was usually other musicians at a (laughs) um smear campaign shows just because that's what ended up being a lot of the shows Mm -hmm. but uh the musicians who uh would come up to me and talk to me afterwards would be telling talk to me talking to me about the other um, what the other people in the band are doing, you know, um, mostly positives, maybe some critiques, mm-hmm. but th- I would always ask them about what I was doing. And it right. was always like, well, yeah, but I mean, you are just doing whatever you're going to do. You know, <laughs> like I multiple times got this like very um, like this is the band is more malleable, th- but this is what you're doing. And uh-huh. like, the, what's the point of trying to like tell you to do something different <laughs> where in my mind, like, I was as malleable as the band, you know, and um, because I've never, (laughs) never consciously been like, this is my style. I'm sticking to it. You know, there's there's some through lines, um, I think, stylistically that um, um, keep cropping back up. But even that is like a in cycles Mm -hmm. more so than um, sticking with it you know? right yeah kind of to the the point of having all these different projects like mm-hmm. you wouldn't have all these different projects if you had like a singular thing that you were trying to do True. and just drive all the way through it. yeah there was a period of time when i was in mother nature playing bass i was playing bass in a punk band called eat shit and die um <laughs> great band name. <laughs> <laughs> um and, and uh, singing for smear campaign and also singing like uh, this kind of like folk music in this group called New Human mm-hmm. with Taylor and uh, Chris DeSalvo. Gotcha. And uh, um, so those, uh, I think all of those are still in play, you mm-hmm. know, in my mind or wherever. Um, and 
I don't think it's because of being in those bands as much as I wouldn't have been in those bands if those weren't part of the stew going on. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Sort of to the the point of being like a theater person on some level is a certain degree of malleability. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and um, you know, I I would hope that uh, at some point a voice of my own starts creeping in, and mm-hmm. it's not you know me putting like a putting on or playing a role. Yeah. Um, and even though very literally there was a role to play in each of those situations, but, um, just, uh, hopefully when I was expressing myself, it wasn't, you know, how can I say these lines correctly? Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. So just kind of continuing along the, the biographical past Mm -hmm. path, which will get us to the new record, which is why we're having this conversation. Yeah. Uh, shortly after I moved to New York, you moved out to LA for a while. What was that about? Although not as shortly as I thought, because <laughs> I thought you moved uh, in 2019, which I moved to L.A. in January of 2020. Oh, wow. OK. Yes. Yeah, once again, we've yeah, got right. timelines fucked up. Yeah. So it was um, I was dating someone at the time and um, they were going out to do uh, like pilot season and uh, do some acting. I had always kind of had LA on like a back burner mm-hmm. um and was just like I'd been there a few times and wasn't sure if the the vibe was really my my thing but I you know it, there's no denying that's where the work is in totally. some respects yeah and so I went out to LA um and um then <laughs> pretty immediately everything shut down. Um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, I was the first month I was in LA. It was great. I was doing jujitsu. I was doing, uh, like I just started like reinvent yourself. You're in a new city. Um, I was doing that. I was doing, I was playing, I, I very quickly joined a punk, uh, a very like, late 90s early 2000s style uh punk band called approximation okay um out there um and they um that was with a couple older dudes um who were really uh just i think tickled that i knew so much about like early diy music (laughs) they just like in, in their minds like people my age um you know being uh what 29 at the time i uh they were just like this young guy knows all this stuff um which you know in my mind is like this is common knowledge right people know this uh (laughs) but anyway um which that was uh that continued on actually um it was like the one thing i was doing during lockdown Mm -hmm. um was just like okay well i'll go see those two other guys i think that feels safe (laughs) and uh you know we were just Honestly, it was just like we were all I think all three of us were just doing it to stay sane at that point because there was no shows to be played. Mm -hmm. And I ended up quickly learning like 35 of their songs and uh, way more than you need for to play a set. But there was like, well, we might as well just keep learning songs. Totally. Yeah, yeah, it really kept kept my chops up because I especially on bass um, since I've been playing it the longest, I think I really am kind of utilitarian in my practicing with it where I'm not sitting down and, um, as arguably I should be, uh, you know, just like practicing the techniques and stuff Mm -hmm. of the bass. Um, it's more of learning music and 
Yeah. What, what is practical for like the performance side yeah. of it rather than, you know, technique for technique's sake. Yeah, exactly. I'll leave that for when I'm on tour sometime, right. you know, just like <laughs> have some time with only my bass as mm-hmm. a friend, um, nearby. But, um, so anyway, uh, then I stayed in LA for, um, 10 months. Um, mm-hmm. and just kind of, you know, at the beginning being like, this will blow over, I'm sure. And then it's not blowing over, you know, we all know the story by now. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, at some point it was just, it became clear that, um, it was time to move back. Actually, I wrote, um, like a, a full, uh, like jazz ballad slash funky very California sounding album uh-huh. while I was out there. Cause all, all I was listening to, I mean, even probably the year prior was like Anderson Pack, Kendrick Lamar, you know, all these, uh, uh, California or California styled, um, uh, mostly hip hop, uh, mm-hmm. artists. And, and it was good to find, find out for myself that, I continue to write music even if I don't see a point to it sure. because for so much of that time and uh, when we get to some of these songs on the the newer album, some of them were written out there and it was, it was bleak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my, my mental state was bleak as a lot of people's were. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was just kind of, you know, that whole playing uh, the orchestra playing on the Titanic as it sinks kind of thing. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm, what, I'm just going to stop playing music because it's, because because the, the world it, it doesn't uh have space for it at the moment you right, know right um so but it did it definitely did become like a very solitary thing at that mm-hmm. time and honestly it wasn't until recently where i remembered that playing with people is the whole reason i do it yeah you know yeah, yeah. like the the performance aspect you know obviously there's a with anybody who is as any uh, interest in th- doing theater, playing music. There's like a selfish, narcissistic part of it where you're like, yes, but look at me. But there's also the connection with the audience, the connection with the other musicians, and arguably like the deepest connections in my life are people I play music with. Totally. Yeah. Um, outside of like blood family. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like this actually is a perfect setup to now talk about the record because yeah. you mentioned that sort of solitary and bad vibe Mm-hmm. zone um, yeah. that I think a lot of us entered into over the last few years. And, you know, I was listening to this, this new album, the new psychoid record, mm-hmm. which d- that seems like it's kind of your, your primary moniker now is yeah. operating under that name. Yeah. Which, I've been whittling away at the other projects <laughs> for, <laughs> for long enough now that it, anything that is like my starting seed alone is mm-hmm. going to be psychoid, Cool, which is why um, psychoid has, some varying genres project to project as well as within songs. Sure. Obviously. Totally. But. What I noticed like compared to what I remember you writing about when I first got to know you in Chicago, mm-hmm. I remember thinking like a lot of your lyrics were very like politically oriented, mm-hmm. very like external world oriented. Yeah. And this album has some of that mm-hmm. for sure, but it also is like your relationship to those external forces is kind yeah. of how I, interpreted it at least you know i'm still getting to know it yeah yeah but uh, no i think you're definitely right and i i was i believe that at some point during so just the quick version of the history of psychoid is it was a a three-piece band well actually it was a four-piece band at first uh we had two guitarists 
myself singing and Jeff Smith on bass and Taylor Kramer on drums. Mm -hmm. And then, and we were playing just rock shows, you know, um, it was, uh, you know, the, the music, um, as we've alluded to is not like one kind of rock or any, uh, you know, kind of specific music, but it's within that realm. And then, some things just in life, personal lives happened where we were not able to get together as much as a mm-hmm. band. And I, I had told them actually before we started because I had been in so many bands and I was so tired of restarting uh, that I was like, if like as as long as this is our band, this will be our band, you know, mm-hmm. the three of us. But if you guys are no longer part of Psychoid, I'm still going to do Psychoid at this point. So at some point that did become the case and um and it kind of just um it, it aligned with that moment i was speaking to where i started noticing that the the hip hop um shows were where the energy was at mm-hmm. and so because i was you know doing it on my own and i was like i might even have to perform this on my own i might just uh go that route and also i was I was kind of hitting a wall with um, writing songs, uh, like starting. I I had written songs for a a number of projects at this point, starting on guitar, writing chord progressions, writing vocal melodies and lyrics. And like those don't always come in the same order, but, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and so being able to react to like the first uh, couple psychoid projects that um, I would call hip hop or rap uh, projects were all me reacting to other people's beats. Right. And so that was just that was honestly for two things. One, I I also wanted to make sure I could like just write a pop song, you know, just verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, but also to um, just have that um, collaborative um, aspect of it, whether I saw it as that or not at the time uh, with somebody that I may or may not know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that might push you into a new direction, might exactly. s- like stir it up in mm-hmm. a different way that like you just sitting by yourself, you can get muscle memory even with something like writing a song. Absolutely. You can get stuck in the same kind of patterns over and over again. Right. And then, um, so while, before the hip hop, uh, stuff came out while we were a rock band, some of these songs were in our set of Mm -hmm. like future, future releases. And so I'd say about half of the, the tracks on this, uh, upcoming album are, tracks that we played as a three piece, um, the last time psychoid was a band. Mm -hmm. And so, um, we had, uh, and I, the way that we had been doing it from the beginning was I would make pretty intense demos that are like, um, so much so that like some of these started, I thought were just going to be demos Uh on, on the record. And then I'm just like, well, maybe we can just soup these up, you know, Mm -hmm. and make a, make a, actual recording out of them but um so i would present the demos to the band and then i had enough trust in both taylor and jeff that whatever they did with the part i would either like it more (laughs) or it would be you know true enough to the part that Mm -hmm. um i could uh you know still get down totally uh so when did it start to cohere into because it seems like the, the, a lot of these songs were written from a, a variety of different points in time yeah. and a lot of different stages of what exactly the, the project even right. was. When did it start to cohere into the shape that it is now? Yeah, so um, I just mentioned that it was um, – a, a lot of these started as demos and the idea was to get the three of us in a room to record them. Mm-hmm. And then 
first me moving to LA didn't help that, but then, uh, the pandemic certainly didn't help that. And, um, so during that time I, while I was writing this kind of like more jazz oriented stuff, I also every once in a while, just like a rock song would come out. Mm -hmm. And, um, whenever that happened, I would just, I would finish it because at some point I figured out if I don't finish things and then I get over it, like it's just, I never come back to that. Right. Spark's gone. Yes, exactly. And so as long as it's like, it doesn't even have to be that the song is finished. It's just that all of my ideas are down, Mm -hmm. you know, or like it's, it, this is as much as I have for this right now. So anyway, um, some of these tracks were kind of in that space. And when I moved back to Chicago in, um, the end of 2020, early 2021, I had, uh, it was actually Jeff Smith who saved the project uh-huh. by being like, Hey, why don't we finish up those songs? And it kind of feels like we have an album. And I, you know, I had, my mind was so scattered with all these different projects, <laughs> which is the theme. Um, but that I, um, had kind of forgotten that we could finish these and make it an album, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the the first step was just to get Jeff on all the tracks. Mm-hmm. And um, that took, you know, uh, we did it in, in chunks and he would come over, record four songs at a time. And um, I don't know if you know, but Jeff is a great bassist. Yeah. I, <laughs> readers of my, my newsletter may recall that I said he's the best bassist I've ever played with. Yeah. Uh, Maybe the best musician I've played with, period. <laughs> Uh, and same Z's. Yeah. Um, like you have to try to make him sound bad. Right. You have to go out of your way to like fuck up in order. Like, cause he's, his time is just so. His time is feel his harmony, like yeah. a, a bassist who can add to the harmony without taking away from mm-hmm. what's going on in the upper register is incredible. Um, so <laughs> that was all to say he just knocked him out real quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. but we would do, you know, four songs at a time. Um, I believe there are 11 songs ended up on the record. Um, and so there's only a couple that did not, but we, throughout doing that, that gave me some time to figure out what I needed to do to finish up my parts. And, uh, so Taylor Kramer, who was our drummer, um, I had sent him the, the tracks and been like, here's, you know, whatever it was, eight or 10 or 11 songs at the time. Do you want to program some drums for these? Mm-hmm. And, um, like programming drums and playing drums are not the same thing no. as you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so I don't think it ever quite. And also he had, uh, moved back to Ohio at this point, And I just don't think it ever quite clicked back with him. Like it did with Jeff, where Jeff was like, for whatever reason, he was ready to finish this up, mm-hmm. get it out there. And so the song Invocation, which is the opener, and uh, the song Count to Ten, Taylor did the drums on those. Gotcha. Okay. And then finished up my demo drums for the rest of them. Yeah, that's interesting because I kept – I was listening to the record and I kept being like – some of this sounds like a, a person playing. Mm-hmm. Some of this doesn't. Mm-hmm. And like the production style is such that like I could go either way right. for a lot of it. And honestly, that's what I ended up feeling like I needed to do with the guitars and adding. I added synths, mm-hmm. um, which I ended up just liking the textures of them. But when it first occurred to me to do that, it was like, well, if this is not going to be a fully acoustic band, you know, electric acoustic you know, live band, we might as well blur the lines even more as, totally. as much as possible yeah. so that it feels cohesive in that way. Mm-hmm. How did you decide on, like, as you mentioned, you cut a few songs and mm-hmm. this kind of opens up the door of like, 
track order sequencing, mm-hmm. putting mm-hmm. the thing together. Yeah. You strike me as the kind of person that would not do those sort of things aimlessly, you know? <laughs> no. So it seems like you've got like a theme across the record. And Was like, the uh, Mars Volta fan part of that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I just, I feel like there is an arc yeah. to this album. I and, hope so. <laughs> um, and you seem to be thinking about how people are receiving it and all that because you're mm-hmm. doing this in a pretty unconventional way mm-hmm. um, that might, I, I have a theory, will become probably more conventional over time, which is you're releasing the song, the songs one by one mm-hmm. in sequential order right. instead of releasing the album all at once. Right. So, um, And then the album's going to be available for download with the third single, which is going to be Invocation gotcha. on June 3rd. Um, so what is the arc that you're aiming to take the listeners on? Yeah. Like what's, so, what's the the mission of the record? Yeah. And it, it, it's interesting because I, I've always, you know, sequencing has always been a big part of, and I, I don't know how much of that came from my schooling, you know, with the music production stuff and how much it's just like love and concept albums, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's always been a, a big priority for me. And I, I would say half the time it comes out like, you know, we're like, it, it's a uh, more uh, intentional when the songs are being written. Yeah. And then, um, in this case and uh, a lot of others, it is, you know, post hoc that I'm applying some kind of narrative or not even a narrative. I feel like with this one, as much as a, just a, a flow of, energy Mm -hmm. that sounds so vague but (laughs) it really is like the vibe (laughs) it's just like changes in a way that takes you from one place to another place to another place and is that flow directed by like the way that the lyrics of one song lead into the next or is it like musical or a split between the two um so it's, it's definitely split between the two um the the lyrical content i I just realized I haven't actually considered like how to word this. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, the, the one thing that I knew going in, uh, once we had all the songs mm-hmm. was invocation is the first song, mm-hmm. even though it's like a long opener, uh, and like an epic <laughs> opener, like right. I, my, my re- hesitation to have it as the opener was like, is this too big grandiose, uh, to start an album? But I kind of saw it as like an overture. Sure. Um, yeah. where like, all the the rest of the pieces of the album are kind of all contained within that first song right. in some microcosm way. If you're down with that, then you'll be down with the exactly. rest of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, so and then I had another song that was going to be kind of like a flip of it. Um, that is the last song on the record called Reclamation. Right. And the when I was starting to sequence, I, I didn't have lyrics to Reclamation. Those were the last lyrics I wrote. Um, but it wasn't the last song, um, it, because I had the idea to do like a reprise um, right. at some point, um, the theater comes back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but it, and so invocation, um, is really, a, a song about the, uh, the muse and like a relationship to creativity or creating things and, a pretty strongly held belief I have that like we don't make the things we mm, just kind mm. of are the vessel, you know? Right. Um, and, a lo- you know, and getting better at some, at something that's not like a technical skill, getting better at 
the creative aspect is actually just like becoming more open to that, right. whatever that is. That's such a classical way of opening a record. I feel like that's yeah. like the sort of like Greek thing. Of it, like, that's where I got the idea. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So <laughs> it came from yeah Homer's Odyssey of mm-hmm. the invocation of the muse. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd actually uh, read a book called uh, the, the war of art. Um, uh-huh. And it, in it, I um, can't think of the author's name. He, uh, mentioned that every t- day when he sits down to write, he says an invocation to the muse. Sure. And that seems a bit intense, but I get it. And right. um, so I'm like, well, what if I just do that for the record, you know, mm-hmm. and invoke the muse? And um, the not to get too into how the muse sausage is made, but um, that uh, first track, um, all the the lyrics I think this applies uh, because it, it it is the most um, directly not my uh, creation, but my discovery mm-hmm. with the lyrics to that track. Because I wrote each stanza separately in a Dolly museum, walking around and just looking at Dolly paintings, uh-huh. and then just writing like a stanza about this and they didn't all end up the same way. Obviously you have to <laughs> shape things to the song, totally. but if that one has more like of a dreamlike quality, I think to the lyrics, um, it's because I was finding meaning through putting it together, which I guess is kind of a, <laughs> a microcosm of what happened with the record, right? Putting all the songs together and then seeing the shape. Yeah. At a later yeah. Time. yeah. And so the combination of invoking the muse and then I had just a lot of this, um, imagery of like like goddess imagery in Mm -hmm. the from the dolly paintings yeah yeah and um i think that those just um coalesced in a way that made it so that yeah it feels like something i found rather than something i that i put my mind to i'm glad you mentioned like the goddess imagery stuff because it reminded me of do you listen to uh protest the hero yeah yeah Mm -hmm. this record kind of reminds me a bit of fortress yeah that's the the one record i've listened to twice as much as the rest gotcha yeah and uh, which is funny because I couldn't tell you any P- fortress lyrics off the top of my head, but I'm sure it seeped in, you yeah. know, in, in mm-hmm. some way. But yeah, that was definitely during that uh, aggressive Prague time. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> um, to me, like if I can just like sort of speculate, yeah, like, go throw for an it, interpretation of the record at yeah. you, and you can bat it back at me. There's a very good chance you're more correct than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. To me, like the the pivot point of the record, like mm-hmm. the sort of crucial, like dramatic moment mm-hmm. is uh the fires of fear mm-hmm. which is the uh what is the third to last track yeah because it sort of feels like before that you've got the sort of you know arc of history on third planet blues that's sure. just describing like the inherently violent nature of human beings yeah. and then you've got a, a sequence of songs which are, the goddess imagery applies to mother earth exactly in that, yeah. that song it also reminds me of like uh the tool song right and two i don't know if mm-hmm. you're a tool guy yeah um we might get into there's a one song on here that i felt very much like i did a tool thing sure um but um, i'm gonna let you finish first yeah then the the rest of the songs from that point on seem kind of more about like a sort of internal mm-hmm. anxiety and uh learning to understand yourself mm-hmm. and kind of like starting to get more control over your own feelings and understanding your own patterns of thought yeah and then which that comes right after um count to 10 which is 
I have a, I have a few like perennial themes that mm-hmm. keep cropping up, and one of them is definitely mindfulness yeah. in one aspect or another of it. And count to ten is very much just like a reflection on not, um, you know, going with your gut instinct. In that sometimes it's better to take a moment, decide what to do, and then after that um, is uh, you know yeah. guided meditation maybe, uh, mm-hmm. and then coming so coming out of that it would make sense that. It's uh, a more um, just like you're you're considering what you're feeling instead of yelling what (laughs) this is what I'm feeling. Yeah. And the way that I I sort of felt with uh, the the fires of fear is it's like acknowledging both like how you internally feel and like how the external world may affect those things. And then kind of like coming to a, a certain degree of balance of those instead of like allowing your own sensation of like anxiety or terror paranoia to run rampant with you to sort of like set a boundary be like no i'm gonna be in control of this Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna wait until there's actually a real reason to be terrified before i allow myself Mm -hmm. to like fly off the handle totally uh so i feel like that's kind of like the the emotional pivot yeah of the record yeah and then um you know goes to it goes to a darker place from there um Mm -hmm. with um, frozen glass cracked open, which is somehow the most whimsical and also the most dark <laughs> moment on the record. Also um, has the, the most insane Jeff performance of, yes. of the album. <laughs> yes. So originally that song, um, had the most corny funk breakdown, oh, really? um, in it. And we played it a lot. It, like we, when we played in practice, it was like, sure. Um, because all I knew is that the lyrics were calling for, a long instrumental section mm-hmm. where I wasn't singing because the lyric that leads up to that is um, silencing my voice once and for all. And uh, so I'm just like, so I'm going to shut up for a bit. Then something wasn't working, but we didn't really have a, an idea of what to replace it with mm-hmm. um, until one day he and I, uh, Jeff and I were talking about uh, square pusher who we both love. Right. And yeah, yeah. Uh, we, I was just like, what if, what if, you know, um, you know, and I, I don't know that it necessarily sounds like square pusher and you know, how could it, right. <laughs> we are not that guy, mm-hmm. but it is, um, it gave us enough of a, like a head start into, uh, doing something different. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, you mentioned that you had sort of a, a, a weird reaction to it live, like playing it to other people or. Yeah. Just like, it, it, I, I felt like. I mean, part of this is just in the design that it like is a hard switch, mm-hmm. you know, and and I haven't played the new version for people sure. yet. Yeah. So um, who knows how I'll go over. But the feeling I had was that it just kind of became like like a jokey dance party at that time. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. I love for people to have fun at the shows, but I feel like they were also having fun with the punk, the punk side of the song. Mm-hmm. And then it was just like, Oh, what's this? Uh, and it also just, it wasn't very creative in the parts we were writing. Like it just sounded like a, like honestly, like a chili peppers thing. And yeah. I, I am, I'm not, you know, I have nothing against the chili peppers. And if I could play like John Frusciante, I probably would, but right. <laughs> it is, uh, you don't want to do it like disingenuous. Yeah, or exactly. Be, like put on pure... the chili pepper hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Put on the socks. So to yeah, speak. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, and then uh, reclamation when we get to the end is 
um, kind of a, the culmination of everything you were talking about, where it leads to a place of really what I was writing about was finishing this record. And ah, yeah. it was like, why did I start this in the first place? Why is it worth finishing? Like, mm-hmm. and then putting out, obviously, because once you finish a record, that's not the the end of the, you know, if if you are completely sick of it, it's probably not doing its job, mm-hmm. which is why I'm, I'm, you know, there's probably been times where I've been sick of songs on here, but I'm really happy that, you know, when I go for weeks without listening and listen back that these songs, some of which were written in 2018 still resonate. So, yeah. so much with me, man, uh, this is, this is so interesting. Like not to, you know, make this about me all of a sudden, mm-hmm. but like some of the, a lot of the ideas that you're talking about are not dissimilar from the record that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And like, I've been thinking about releasing it kind of in a similar way to the way you're releasing yeah. your record of like doing it piecemeal and like, because for like thematic reasons. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, how did you, how did you settle on like releasing it the way that you are? Yeah, it was, it's honestly that the, uh, music industry makes no sense to me. Sure. And I <laughs> like, and it's, I'm not actively trying to like go against what the industry is doing, nor am I actively trying to follow the rules of the industry. I'm just trying to figure out some way to make it make sense to me. Yeah. And like I very much coming from that concept album place very much writing albums more so than uh, like, I don't think of them as singles. I think mm-hmm. they work possibly as singles, hopefully. <laughs> and, uh, but I was getting a lot of um, just recommendations from other people saying that like, honestly, nobody listens to full albums. You should put out just singles. And to me, that would be doing a uh, disservice to the the record yeah and uh also uh um another uh mutual friend uh seth engel uh, mastered this oh cool and, yeah Excellent. so yeah he um and once i heard the master like it it was a record to me you yeah. know and yeah. so i didn't want to completely uh let go of that idea mm-hmm. that um that it was a record with a, a story to tell as you're mentioning and but it did the singles um it in my mind, I am so easily distracted when other people release music and people will release something and six months will go by and I'm like, oh yeah, that album came out. I, I was like really into it. Um, and, you know, so in my mind, like releasing this, some singles before and then some, uh, you know, a bunch of singles will be after, mm-hmm. um, will give people an opportunity to listen who may have not immediately been like yeah i'll sit down and listen to an hour of or you know i think it's like 40 minutes or something Mm -hmm. of music and um and especially because it's there's not a lot of breathing you know space on this there's moments of you know taking a breath and um you know um having a more toned down jam but a lot of it's very like high energy right um music and and it's condensed even within the structures themselves like it's it, it feels like you know, I remember the smear campaign songs kind of being looser and longer mm-hmm. and flowy. Mm-hmm. This one, it's like, bam, 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 bam. Yeah, bam, I bam, think bam. the average smear campaign song was probably five minutes, yeah. and we were, you know, there's there was a lot of parts, but they were um, each part breathed a yeah. little more. And um, for better or worse, when I write music uh, on my own, I just, you know, I I've gotten to a point where I stop 
thinking about how long each section is and like it's typically the way I write it before I put a vocal to it is the way it remains just Mm -hmm. because I think there's an inherent structure that me come I'm not exactly starting from zero when I write the lyrics you know I kind of have an idea of the structure of it yeah and what kind of concepts and stories would work in that structure yeah it's it's funny because that kind of feels like it almost is like the way that you're talking about like writing lyrics in the structures of other people's poems and stuff like that yeah yeah. you know you like to work with some sort of uh foundation that you can then build on top yeah and you know with the smear campaign stuff you know i was like there were songs where i would be rapping in 13 Mm -hmm. and there's a couple different flows you can do in 13, (laughs) but like there's a, there's a certain way. Like, I mean, at least for me, I'm, I am no like rhythmic virtuoso. I, uh, you know, starting on the bass, I think really helped my sense of, um, rhythm and finding grooves that don't feel like with the, the time changes and stuff. I, I don't love when they're announced through the music, you know, like, Different time, you mm-hmm. know, and count to 10 is really good along those lines. A lot of really subtle time changes that feel like the right next thing to happen. Nice. You know? I, I'm gl- very glad to hear that because that is, I think, uh, the most <laughs> definitely the most different times I've. Um, in fact, there is a 10 different time signature. <laughs> oh, really? Well, OK, I guess nine. So this, this, this is the tool part I, that you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, real quickly on that, we. Uh, Taylor and I were taking a, like a hiking trip uh, through um, uh, Glacier National Park and um, climbing this mountain. I get like halfway up the mountain. I, I just said like, what if we had a song? You know where this came from? Clipping. Clipping oh, has story number two. Story number two, yeah, which yeah. is my favorite clipping song mm-hmm. because come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and, and I was just like, what if a rock song did that and made it? Because the clipping song, it is very much like it's an interlude, you know, and like, granted, I think it works as a song, but it, you know, because it's an interlude or like uh, the story, you know, it, you could, the concept's kind of at the forefront yeah, of of what it is. And um, I was thinking like, what if a a rock song were to do that, but do it more organically or because obviously he's taking a knob and switching the, the amount on the arpeggiator. Right. Right. And, um, which honestly has like a great vibe to it to it, just feel that like really robotic shift. Yeah. And um, because it also helps escalate the, the tension of absolutely. the story. Like, all those pieces are working together in tandem, but absolutely. you're right that it does kind of feel like a incremental mechanical mm-hmm. thing. Whereas what you're describing with this song feels a bit more, you know, yeah, a bit less well, linear, you know. Yeah, well, so the the challenge to myself was can I make a song that goes from 2 to 3 to 4 to 5 to 6 all the way to 10 without it without having moments that are like now now is when we're changing times. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, all that to say I'm very glad to hear that you, it hit you that way. Yeah, um cool. as just kind of an organic um piece that works hopefully front to back it helps that like if you're doing there are some like natural repetitions of of kind there mm-hmm. like two isn't that different from four three isn't well that and from six to be fair i did four for the two yeah and for the eight <laughs> right um you know like it's a, the chorus is the two the four and the eight mm-hmm. so 
you can call that cheating if you want, but, uh, <laughs> but, it, uh, you know, still fulfilled. I, it was just like some kind of, uh, you know, restriction to put on myself to be like, can, can this be done? And honestly, it's one of my favorite songs on, on the record. Um, it, I think all of, uh, the band members like just like it as a song, regardless mm-hmm. of any, <laughs> uh, tool like uh, concept that may or may not be working throughout. Right. But, um, what, what were we talking about for then? Well, we were kind of talking about, uh, I wanted to sort of scroll back to the conversation about like release style and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I'd be really interested to hear from you once more of the songs have come out and you've seen how people respond to mm-hmm. that uh, idea to see how it goes. Because I think it's like, you're right that, because I, you know, all musicians, we're all hearing this stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. all the way from like the head of Spotify down, people mm-hmm. are saying like release more stuff more often. Yeah. Um, and I am also, you know, a child of the album era and mm-hmm. I'm a, a big concept guy, you know, like you've yeah. played my shit, you know, mm-hmm. that I, I care about that stuff pretty deeply. Yeah. And I want to, I really want to know how you, it goes with this album because I feel like it's a test case for like, we can still do it our way, but we can mm-hmm. do it smart. Yeah. You know? And so one, um, slight, uh, alteration to what you said is, um, so I'm not actually putting them out in, in order, order of right. the album gotcha. because I thought invocation to be like a first single, um, is not quite as immediate as conspiracy, which, mm-hmm. uh, put out a couple weeks ago, which is definitely the like, uh, you know, hearkening back to my you know, straight ahead punk, totally. uh, ideas that I like that, that is I think that song came about just because I was like, I think we're doing a little too much time changing. <laughs> time <laughs> like for something with dumb. The, yeah. W- yeah, with the first record, um, uh, the first EP we put out, it, there was a lot of, yeah, there's still a lot of uh, of time changes, even though <laughs> Grant, coming from Smear Campaign, it, was, uh, it felt like I was not dumbing it down, but like putting more restrictions on it to mm-hmm. be a more conventional song structure. Sure. And that kind of came out of this interesting th- thing that happens <laughs> frequently to me. I'm sure it happens to you as well. I've heard it, um, other people experience this where somebody comes and tells you that you remind them of something and it's either something a, I've never heard of, mm-hmm. which is my favorite, um, <laughs> or B, uh, something that I haven't thought about in years. Right. And, right. um, one person came to a smear campaign show and was like, you remind me so much of Brandon Boyd from Incubus. And I don't know where that was coming from. I, huh. I, my guess is this person didn't listen to that much music. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Like yeah. if you're listening to what's on the radio, Incubus is kind of weird. Right. Um, yeah. and, uh, it's like, I feel like there was like a, a viral tweet that was going around where someone who's only watched a 24 movies watches another movie. This is giving me a 24 vibes, you know? (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally. And so, um, through doing that or through when that happened, I was like, I got to investigate, see what's up (laughs) because I was really into incubus when I was 15. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. and like really hadn't thought about them since. And, um, I was, First of all, very happy to see that live they're still killing it. Cool. Like good they're very good at playing their songs currently. But also, like their first two, first three records, I was like, yeah, I, I get where, I get that I would have taken some influence from this. Mm-hmm. Um, it also once happened when someone told me I uh, write Lincoln Park riffs, and. W- 
And I was like, there's no way that's true. And then I went back and uh, when I write drop D riffs, they're kind of Linkin Park riffs. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. And um, Linkin Park was also the first band that I ever was like, this is my favorite band. I can. Yeah. This is probably why our that's like the intersection of where our interests in music yeah. begins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, we have some flowering out of mm-hmm. at the edges. Um, so. Where do you plan? I know, like, obviously, this record's not even fully out yet. Right. And I know that some musicians, like, balk at being asked, like, what are you going to do next? Mm-hmm. But, like, knowing that a lot of these songs have been in the bank for a long time, yeah, yeah. are you working on other stuff? Do you have, like, other plans for what you want to do after this album comes out? Like, what what does the future hold? Yeah, so, first and foremost, I don't know. This will likely be out by the time um, this comes out. I don't know when you're planning on releasing this, but um, Parker... Langvart and I uh, have been working on a, uh, a video for Conspiracy mm-hmm. that is um, very different and conceptual, and it'll be out um, by then. And I have a website, psychoidmusic.org, mm-hmm. which um, will have a link to the Conspiracy video. And I, I'm re- really excited about that, and we've been putting a, a lot of time into that the past uh, few weeks, um, just tweaking it i uh, i was kind of hoping it would be out by the time we did this so gotcha. i could get your reaction <laughs> to it because um i actually think you'll like it a lot but cool. um but then um i've been uh, putting the band back together um so to speak and trevor shandling uh has recently been playing drums uh from smear campaign um and chris DeSalvo, who was in that band new human with mm-hmm. me and taylor um is also playing guitar and doing vocal gotcha. um more, uh, you know, cause the one thing I really, um, dove into once I was going back to these songs was the harmony, like yeah, vocal harmonies, yeah, yeah. which I had before. I don't know if it's that I not really given it much thought or at some point I convinced myself I was bad at it. You know, I was just like, I can't write good harmonies, so I just won't try. And then some years go by, I try on accident, and I'm like, oh, I kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, there's a, a lot more harmony on this, so getting someone to sing that live has been really great. We, when Just the practices we've been having um, have been, for me, having heard all this music, um, that is, so much of it is me um, on these tracks, and that hearing... Um, either other interpretations of it or just, you know, even somebody else playing a very true to the original, uh, interpretation of, um, something they bring their own self to it. Right. And yeah. yeah. So, um, it's been really electric to, uh, get just four people in a room playing these songs. And like I said, I kind of forgot that that's really what it's all been all about for me. And, um, so yeah, we've been, uh, um, we're looking to, to book some shows over the summer, um, get playing truly as much as possible. And, and then we've got about five songs in the bank that, um, when I say we, I mostly mean me, um, <laughs> cause that's just how it's been operating, you know, sure, sure. but I am ex- very excited for these newer songs to incorporate other perspectives more. Totally. Um, and just, you know, have something that is a little less in my control. Mm-hmm. You know, um, cause as much as you try to control someone else and I'm not saying I'm, uh, I would hope I'm not doing that, but even if you were, you're not going to get, uh, yourself out of it. Totally. And which yeah. is why, um, with these tracks, um, once Jeff put his bass to them, they were like 
brand new to me again. Mm-hmm. Like I was able to listen to them because it wasn't all me. Right. You know, I could every once in a while, uh, uh, uh you know, a fill of Jess would, um, take me off guard and I would be like, Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Right. <laughs> Something like that, you know? Um, well, I mean, to your point about the whole point being like doing it with other people, uh, mm-hmm. I'm so glad that we got to do this in person and like have Truly. this conversation. I'm really excited to see how this record, yeah. you know, is received and turns out. Um, and yeah, if you guys ever hit the road, come to oh, New man, York, man. Yeah, we'd love, love to. to. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for having me, man. Of course. This has been great. Yeah.